what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. and welcome once again to the Before and After Show. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm your co-host, Corey Tyndall. Welcome back. Yes. It's, uh, I feel like it's been a while, even though it has only been a week. Yeah, I know, it's weird. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. But... Well, maybe it's been a while since it's been only us. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, <laughs> so, if you haven't been listening recently, we're in the middle of the Before and After Show experiments. Yes, experiments. Yep. We're mad scientists on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically just killing time until, uh, at the very least, yep. 10 Cloverfield Lane comes out. Oh yeah, we're going to go see that. Until then, we are just kind of playing around with the format of the show. Yeah. If you've listened in the last couple, we've done experiments with um, making arguments for a movie that one person didn't like and the other mm-hmm. person did like. And then the last couple experiments have been, uh, we assign each other movies that, uh, we haven't seen. Yeah. Um, so it's a movie like, I've seen it, but you haven't seen mm-hmm. it, Corey, and or vice, vice versa. versa. And we just did that with our wives. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Weeks. And this mm-hmm. episode is actually keeping in that same wheelhouse, but there's going to be a little bit of a surprise for you guys in the middle of the show. Yeah. So it's... It's kind of a similar format. I think it's a really easy format to do yeah. while we're kind of killing time, but <laughs> there's there's some other stuff we can play around with in that. So yes. don't think that we're just committing to the one experiment. This is also this is arguably the most experimental yes. that we've gotten since we've started the the experiments at the beginning of this year. And you'll see in a little bit why. Yeah. So before we hop into that, um, have you been watching anything this week, Corey? Um, I have been watching a couple things um, since that episode. That we had last week with our wives. Um, Hannah has been really into, I guess, like period movies and stuff again. So it's like she ended up watching Sense and Sensibility again and then like describing half of it to me. It was like, I need to go watch that film again because I forgot how much I like it. And yeah. you know, I was talking about it and I was like, ah, this is great. But she's been watching, she started Downton Abbey oh, recently. Okay. And, um, you know, it's like I don't have anything against period pieces or whatever, but. I've kind of peripherally been watching them. She's kind of been watching them, you know, like a couple episodes every evening. But I've seen some of them. And it seems to be done, like, really well. The actors are really good. I think it's a tight script. It's it's a very interesting look at that time period. And so I'm kind of like, I wouldn't have chosen to watch it. But I've heard, you know, it's received a lot of, like, attention in the past and... I, I think it's it's worthy of that attention. It seems really good, really well put together. We'll see. I think she's still working on it. I think there's five or six seasons currently. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. So, um, but then the other thing I've been watching, I think I I texted you the other night. I revisited one of my favorite movies, um, Spider-Man 2, the yep. Sam Raimi film. It is, man, it's just fantastic. I could have a whole podcast just on that 
that movie. But um, <laughs> I'm I, glad to know that holds up still. By the way, that's it, my favorite Spider-Man movie. Yeah, it's definitely the best one. I mean, just so many smart choices by Sam Raimi in that film. Just like a lot of the action is like you know in camera and not CGI. It's like they have some CGI in that movie, but I was like telling my wife, I feel like he relegated it to only when necessary. And I think the film benefits very much from that. And I just also was telling her, it's like, I think it's the film. I think it's one of the best superhero films, like yeah. of all superhero films we have. And I think the reason for that is because it understands the characters and the source material so well, and it makes you care about the characters. So it's like when the kind of like fantastical elements happen you know, his costume comes on or like Dr. Octopus, it's like you're really invested in the world. So it's not it's not jarring or it's not just like action sequence to have an action sequence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really good. It holds up. I I love that film. It's one of those films I just watch when I'm like, oh, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to just watch something in the background. But it was very much like I put it on. It's like it's been a couple years since I've seen this. Yeah, and it's it been a minute for me too. And it was great, man. Man, I love that film. Is that the <clears> one <throat> where he stops the uh, subway? The train? The train? Yeah, that's yeah. one of, I think that is like one of my favorite like superhero action sequences. Yeah, it's, it's so, good. it's really good, yeah. man. I really like that. <laughs> and I love the scene where he turns into Doc Ock. Yeah. And like the super creepy. Yeah, I was telling scene. Hannah, I was like, it's very evident. Like you see Sam Raimi a little bit of yeah. his horror mm-hmm. direction. That, very much so. Man, that's a really. Such a good choice going with the prosthetic limbs, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad they didn't do CGI with all that stuff all the time. Yeah. Man, it's so good. So, yeah. Um, I love that movie. Yeah. How do you feel <laughs> at, at, about Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man? I think he's great. Um, a lot of people be like, oh, he's not as good as Andrew Garfield. And I love Andrew Garfield. I think he does a great job, but I feel like... Peter Parker is written more like his character, like from the comic books. I feel that more of that is channeled into Tobey Maguire's performance, at least in the first two movies. And I think Tobey Maguire does a great job of like, Peter is kind of nerdy, but you empathize with him and like you, he's really likable. I feel like he does that really well. Or like Andrew Garfield does it well too, but he's, he's a little bit like the kind of cool outcast kid that nobody likes. It's like, and that's fine. He's a little too good looking. Yeah, and that's fine. And I mean, like, you know, Tobey Maguire's good looking too. But yeah, I just feel like it's, I don't know. I feel like Tobey Maguire does a better job of Peter Parker to me. I think Tobey Maguire is a good Peter Parker and Andrew Garfield's a good Spider-Man. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the disconnects. It's like Spider-Man's like super quippy once he is in, you know, he's fighting people and he's got his mask on and stuff. And I don't feel like they're is enough of that in the Sam Raimi's, but it's not, it's not distractingly. I mean, like, you know, he'll have a joke here and there, but like when Andrew Garfield is Spider-Man, it's like he's quipping all over the place. And so that feels a lot more like Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love those films. Not the third one, but man. Or the second. Amazing. Yeah. That's, that's a mess. Yeah. (laughs) I had to get my brain analyzed because I saw it and like, you kept asking me like, how do you feel about that movie? And I was like, I love it. And you're like, really? And then, I don't know, just like a year down the road, like I rewatched it or something. I was just like, this is not good. Yeah. This is a mess. It took me a minute to see that movie, too. I feel like I have a lot of people. 
And I like, I, <laughs> I saw it because a friend of mine was like, he had it on Netflix, like the disc. Yeah. And he let me borrow it and was like, watch this. It's terrible. And so I was like, man, I feel like a lot of people really like this movie. I don't understand. Yeah. And then I watched it. I watched it on Thanksgiving Day, like two years ago. And man, that is not a good movie. No, it's not. It's like, they it literally like history repeated itself. Like, yeah. <laughs> Super unfocused. <laughs> too many characters, too many subplots. It gets bogged down and like lost. It's really bad. However... <clears throat> J.B. Fox is really good in that movie. Yeah, he is. I thought he was super good in that movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the actors do a good job, but it's just... Ugh, it's a mess, man. Yeah. Anyway, I could have I could have a whole podcast on Spider-Man. That's not why we're here. So, Spider Talk. Spider Talk with Corey. That'd be great. Um, what about you, MJ? What have you been watching this week? Sure. Uh, we were battling food poisoning this weekend, so I got to watch a few things. <laughs> um... So first, I I tried to get my wife to watch uh, The Kid, which is Charlie Chaplin's first movie. And I thought you were about to say The Kid with Bruce Willis. No. And then <laughs> we watched Legally Blonde instead, because marriage <laughs> is about compromises. <laughs> so we saw Legally Blonde, and uh, I'd never seen it before. Oh, what do you think? Um, I am not the target audience for <laughs> Legally Blonde, and that's fine. Yeah. Movies don't have to be just one thing, and so they serve, like, different purposes yes. for different people. And so, just because a movie is not for, like, a 27-year-old mixed-race man, yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean it, it doesn't have value to other people. Yes. Like, 20-something-year-old white ladies. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, I mean, it's fine. It, it, it's got this interesting thing running through it in that, you know, it's about this blonde, like, yeah. stereotypical blonde who ends up going to Harvard Law School mm-hmm. and getting her law degree. And it's... The, I wish they would have done more with it, but there's this really interesting sort of through line in that she... She's the outsider in this situation, Mm-hmm. Where typically she would not be the outsider. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I, we have a mm-hmm. podcast. And so I definitely grew up an outsider. Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the popular kids. Like, she's she's a popular kid who now has to deal with being an outsider. Yeah. To a group of people who are normally considered the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And so I like that idea of, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, you know... Because I feel like I feel like um, outsider nerdy people mm-hmm. can get pretty like uppity about their like they can get just as like yeah it's weird clicky and dumb as like the serious people who made them feel kind of outsider yes, exactly yeah. thank you for helping me finish that <laughs> but yeah so so it was interesting to see like that perspective of like well you know we have this reputation as like pop- the popular kids yeah. shutting out the nerds but then when we're even forced into being uh interactive with you like you do the same thing back at us and it was like oh yeah everyone can suck like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. maybe i have a, a really cynical view of legally blonde i mean they all reconcile their differences that's a very interesting message to get from legally blonde 
<laughs> Everyone can suck. MJ Smith. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. That shouldn't be that funny, but it is. I'll take that to my grave. <laughs> um, I'll argue that point right tooth and nail. Um, that's... That's the pull quote they get from me for the uh, the Blu-ray, the anniversary yeah. Blu-ray. Everyone can suck, MJ's win. Oh, man. No, but it's just like, you know, you tend to look at your own group of people, uh, or like the groups you identify with through yeah. rose-colored glasses, and it's kind of like, no, everyone can like yeah. have bad things. Like, there's, anytime there's a subculture, there's like good and bad with it. Yeah. So, you know, and we kind of touched on, on that a little bit when we were talking about Star Wars, like, yeah. seeing kids now with all their Star Wars stuff, it's like, you don't even know. You didn't even earn that yet. Yeah. No. Um, so, so we can see, we, we've seen that. Uh, I watched 25 minutes of Mad Max. Okay. Fury Road. Not as cool as I once thought it was. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, oh, no. Not, I think I would feel the exact same way about it that I originally did if I had seen it on a big screen again, yeah. but I just watched it at home, and uh, yeah, not as oh no, not as visually arresting on on a smaller scale, which is fine. Um, Gravity is that way, yeah. Like Gravity was one of my favorite movies in 2013. Yeah, I'm never seeing that movie again because there's <laughs> no way it's good on a small screen. Yeah, like that, and I think Mad Max is the same way. Um, mm. I could hear it better, which I had a really hard time hearing it when I saw it. Yeah. So I might uh, go back and finish it, just because I'd like to understand the Clearly dialogue. What's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, it was such a weird mix when I saw it. So yeah, I watched 25 minutes of Mad Max and I was like, not as cool. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um. What else? Oh, we. I watched the first episode of Vinyl. Vinyl's a new HBO show mm-hmm. with Martin Scorsese and Mick Jagger are the producers of it. Yeah. And it stars a guy named Bobby Cannavale, mm-hmm. who was on Boardwalk Empire, which Martin Scorsese also produced. Mm-hmm. And it was also on HBO. And he plays a record executive in the 1970s. Yeah. And it's just kind of... It's basically record executive version of Mad Men. Oh, okay. The pilot hits a lot of the same beats as the pilot of Mad Men, mm-hmm. but it's twice the length. Oh. Uh, it's it's two hours, and Martin Scorsese directed it, which basically means it's the new Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. And <laughs> I watched it, and I really, really liked it, because Scorsese's, like, one of my favorite directors of all time. Yeah. So... I was just like, I feel like I've just been kind of starved for Scorsese. Yeah. Because it's been two years since his last movie, which was Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, just like watching the beginning of that first episode, man, I was just like, ah, I've missed this. Yeah. Like, it just felt like there was, it was just like, and it's weird because the first five minutes of the episode is like, uh, Bobby Cannavale getting super drunk and then doing a bunch of cocaine in his car. Oh. But I was just, it's, and then walking into a New York Dolls concert and watching them perform Personality Crisis. Oh. But even just that, I was like, I just missed Scorsese, man. Like, just, it's because it's so well done and, yeah. and super well put together. And, you know, Scorsese's such a fan of that music, of like mm-hmm. pop music and especially like, quote, classic 
yeah. rock music and him working with Mick Jagger on a thing is great because he's got a Rolling Stone song in every movie he does. Yeah. Um, so it just makes sense for them to be collaborating on something. Super well acted. It's perfectly cast. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, it's easy to say that it's like, oh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But yeah. it's a little bit deeper than that. Like, he's, a, you know, the guy feels like a real character. He's got a wife. He's got kids he cares for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just trying to do right by everyone. Yeah. And like, you come to find out that the cocaine he's doing at the beginning, he'd been clean for a long time oh. before he did that. Okay. So, like, it feels more like a failure rather than just like, oh, look at this coked up, like, D-bag yeah. record executive guy. <laughs> Where it really easily could have felt like that in the hands of any other director. Yeah. But I think because it's Scorsese, he's able to lend that weight to it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it got kind of a cool reception. Like, no one really mm-hmm. went crazy over it. And it made me wonder if, like, there just isn't room for Scorsese anymore. And then I got really sad. Oh, no. Because (laughs) I think he makes a certain type of visceral, male-driven entertainment Mm -hmm. that gets lost on a lot of the culture at large today. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at the stuff he makes... And they're quick to call it racist and sexist. Yeah. When I don't think, I don't think that's the nature of it. Yeah. For sure, that stuff is in the movie. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever seen a Scorsese movie where a character's been sexist or racist and we're supposed to be rooting for that person. Yeah. I think he's just fascinated by what makes people, what drives people to those things. Yeah. And so, I, I every time I watch a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, there's a ton mm-hmm. of misogyny in that movie. But mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be rooting for any of those characters. Like, they're all the worst people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Vinyl, I root for the main guy. And he's got his addiction problems and stuff like that. Yeah. But he's not, like, a crazy misogynist. He's not cheating on his wife. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, like... There's decade-based racism that's going on, yeah. so it's one of those things where it's like the show isn't like, hey, it's good that he was racist, but it's also one of those things where it's like, hey, he kind of couldn't help it because it was part of the yeah, time. it's like it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, you know, and so I think just that a lot of that gets lost. Like people are so just take things at face value. Yeah, now. they're just like, wow, that show is racist or whatever. Yeah, it's like, but. That's contextually the time period where, yeah. Yeah. And, like, there's, like, there, there's like a, a woman character who is marginalized as, like, the sandwich girl, but, like, she wants to be a record exec. Yeah. and But it's 1973, so, like, you know, they do make comments about her of, like, well, the sandwich girl's the one who, who, the only one who had a good idea in this meeting. Yeah. And stuff like that. But, like, once again, it's in the time period. Like, it's of the mm-hmm. time period. And so I just, it made me sad that, like, we're not allowed to do that anymore, I guess. Like... <laughs> What the heck, culture, you know? Yeah, have um, those type of films. Yeah, and there's one other thing I wanted to touch on with the vinyl premiere, and I don't remember what it was. Oh gosh, it was really important. Oh no, it'll come back. It's spinning. Oh, what Like was a record, it? spinning. Mick Jagger. Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Culture Martin. at large. Oh! Music. Got it. I remember... So there's there's one scene that um so that it opens on him doing this cocaine and then walking into the New York New York Dolls concert and uh 
then it flashes back to five days before that incident happened. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the episode is that five days leading up to it. Well, you find out that he's getting ready to sell his record company to a German uh, record label. Yeah. And he's narrating what's going on, and he's narrating who the two, who his two business partners are. Yeah. And he talks about <clears throat> this guy who's basically in charge of paying off the radio stations to play their records over other people's records, like mm-hmm. Paola stuff. Yeah. And the scene is, it's just the guy, like, walking in with a bag full of cash, handing it to the DJ, making sure the DJ plays their record over it. Yeah. And I kind of wasn't paying attention to who this guy was. And, you know, I was like, okay, like, I get who that character is. And, like, yeah. I know what function he serves in the uh, in the the hierarchy of this record company that we're going to be following over the show. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to them on their plane back to America. And they're all talking about how the meeting went. And that guy starts talking, and I audibly went, holy crap, that's Ray Romano. Oh. <laughs> Ray Romano's in this show, and he's super good at it. Wow. He's so good, which means that Scorsese can make anyone act. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it just super caught me off guard. You're like, that what? I was, it was out of nowhere. And that guy's <laughs> voice is super distinct. Yeah, it is. So he started talking, and I was like, hold up. <laughs> Everyone pause. Ray Romano's in this. What? Yeah, oh, and funny. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how much they're paying for the music for this show because mm-hmm. they're using like actual bands of the time in yeah. their songs. Like they've hired people to portray those bands. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So like when he goes to the New York Dolls concert, it's like a bunch of dudes that look like New York Dolls, and they're doing Personality Crisis. And they there's a scene where he goes and talks to Led Zeppelin, and yeah. they like hired dudes to look like Led Zeppelin. Wow, that's sweet. And you can tell like the Robert Plant guy is the guy they hired because he looks like Robert Plant, but also sounds like Robert Plant. Yeah. And then the the John Bottom guy <laughs> just looks like John Bottom because he has no lines. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then they do it like then it follows him like talking about the record deal of theirs that they're trying to get going. Yeah. And then it like falls through like. Led Zeppelin's basically like, no, we don't want to work with you. Yeah. And he gets really sad, but then he walks out to the concert, and, like, it's those guys performing a Led Zeppelin song. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, dang. And because Martin Scorsese is Martin Scorsese, he went out of his way to shoot it like uh, the Led Zeppelin DVD that Jimmy Page put together. Like, oh, that's sweet. Ago. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, of course Martin Scorsese did this. Of course he did. He's got that nice, like, eye for detail for things like that. Especially, like, with music. I feel like he has, like, that reverence for, you know, like, history and... Yeah, I mean, even... I mean, the, the <laughs> Scorsese movie we watched for the podcast yeah. wasn't the best. No. But I think the music, he like, you could tell he, yeah. like, yeah. put a lot of time and energy and effort into those musical sequences. Yeah, he's like, we can't get these wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was vinyl. And then, last but not least, uh, we watched Labyrinth. Yes. It's, it's my wife's sick day movie, and I'd never seen Labyrinth before. I never had, and when I came over here before we started recording, um, you played a sequence, a music sequence from that movie for me, and Magic I was just... Dance. Man, go look it up right now if you're listening. Just pause this and go look up Magic Dance from yep. Labyrinth. 
man, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't even know what to expect, and I just kind of <laughs> sat there, like, with my mouth open, just like, wow, this happened? Like, yeah. this was a movie? Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe I'm seeing that out of context, but then you went on to say, like, nope. the whole movie's like that. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, so Labyrinth is a movie from the 80s with David Bowie, uh, directed by Jim Henson and produced by George Lucas. Man, such a weird combination. And I feel like that movie was just... It was fueled by three <laughs> giant piles of cocaine with a name tag for each one of those guys on it. That's the only explanation I can come up with for why this movie exists. When did this come out? 1986 is what I want okay. to say. Um, but it, like the whole movie just kind of feels like Salacious Crumb got his own movie. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah, go look up Magic Dance from Labyrinth if you want to see David Bowie in pants that show too much David Bowie yeah. dancing around with a baby and some Muppets. <laughs> People are like, is this real? It's a beloved movie. And they're going to have a remake, right? Supposedly there's in talks of possibly. Yeah, potentially, which is awful. But yeah, like, people love this movie, and I was like... It's the movie itself is fine. Like at the end of the day, once all said and done, it's not. Yeah, it's bad. not like terrible. It's just the subject matter is a little bit like what? I mean, it's cuckoo bananas, but also it's just so it feels so experimental that the movie ended, and I was like, I don't understand how this is a popular movie. Like it's just so disjointed and kind of weird and yeah odd and I, I don't know there's just something about it where i was like man i can't believe this is like a movie a lot of people have attached nostalgia to yeah it's so weird to me like i get it with the princess bride but i don't yeah. understand it with labyrinth like princess bride is pretty straightforward yeah uh labyrinth is like it's crazy it's a labyrinth yeah yes basically but yeah so i that was my weekend wow you had a very eclectic mix of stuff that you watch yeah it was all over the place man um yeah so that'll do it for that and we're gonna take a shorter break than normal yes and we're gonna fill the break with something else but we'll we'll be right back in a second yes chimes and we're back the first time at the top of the show we mentioned that we're sticking with the on-assignment format, mm -hmm. but the experiment now is going to be coming in the middle of the show. Surprise! Surprise! Uh, we're going to be rapping songs from Hamilton. Oh, that that's a surprise for me <laughs> right now. No, um, so we decided that, that one of the goals Alexander of this... Hamilton. <laughs> We decided that one of the goals for this podcast is that not only do we want to watch movies better, we want to help you guys watch movies yes. better. And this isn't mm -hmm. coming from a like high and mighty place of like, we know how to do it. This is, we're all in this together. So yeah. this is something that we really want you guys as an audience to participate in. Maybe even to like some of the things we talk about, just so you can like, maybe appreciate like genres that you've never appreciated before or just like oh maybe i can look at that with a different lens it's not like a talking down like oh yeah we know all this stuff and you know we're high and mighty better than all of you guys yeah <laughs> so this is this is a segment I, I i'm gonna name right now called uh the before and after film school all right and you know when you think of film school you think of how to make movies 
I don't know how to make movies. I don't know how to watch movies. Yeah. So this is this is when you hear film school, we're not going to teach you like what a gaffer does. We're going to teach or you a best boy. Right. I want to be a best boy. That's what I aspire to be. Really? Yeah. The best boy. The best boy. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're, this is this is going to be. It's going to serve a couple purposes, and we're gonna we're probably going to alternate the subjects we quote teach. Yes. Or allow to be taught to us. And we're all students in yes, life. Yes. So I, I think kind of the the two directions we want to go with this are one film history mm-hmm. and two film structure. Yeah. Slash theory a little bit, I guess. Yeah. If you want to get that technical about it. But we're going to kick things off with film history. And what was that? I don't know. It was a, it was a drum roll on my knee, but then I was like, I don't have an actual drum. So. Yeah. I'm glad your knee isn't a drum. And Jay will put some sound effects in there. <laughs> drum roll. But so so we're starting with uh, where you would start in film history, and that's the silent era. And you know, f- films didn't have sound for like twenty years. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so and and it's it's hard to watch silent films through modern eyes, uh, mm-hmm. and I totally understand that. And there are several, I think, milestone silent films that we're going to need to get through one of them we're a little on the fence about yeah but we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get to it if we need to get to it yeah um but but i think one of the most important movements of silent cinema is the comedy yes and so why do you think that is like why do you think when when people because when people think of silent movies they tend to think of the silent comedies so why do you think it's the silent comedies that have lasted rather than the silent dramas? Um, I, I, I want to say it's something, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to say it's something just intrinsic to us as people and just with the subject matter of comedy, just like how even bodily movements can like lend themselves to like even just some comedic situations or um, just stuff that is funny and i'm not saying that like drama can't be conveyed through body motions or like you know facial expressions because of of course it can be but i just feel like maybe maybe humor and comedy some of that is like easier to understand especially in like a silent film because i mean like you do have a lot of like body language and stuff that communicates those emotions in like dramas but there is also you know, other things that go along with it to to add, I guess, like, the gravitas to, you know, certain scenes. Like, they wouldn't be the same without, like, you know, that background music or maybe even, like, those couple lines that just kind of, like, bring, you know, everything to a head or it just brings it home. And so maybe I, that, that would kind of be, like, some of my thoughts on that. What do you think, MJ? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, <clears throat> you know, comedy can be universal and it can yeah. be very physical. Yeah. Um. And it can manifest itself in different ways physically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, look at some of even the comedians who have thrived when sound has been a thing. The Three Stooges, yeah, very slapsticky. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Lucille Ball. A lot of her most famous bits are very physical. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey. <clears throat> yeah. You know, uh, it, it hasn't been until kind of recently with this uh, like Seth Rogeny type of people yeah. that. 
the dialogue and the jokes have been funny. I mean, even Airplane, which the dialogue is really funny yeah. in that <laughs> movie, there's a ton of visual jokes in, yeah. the, in those movies. And so I just think that uh, silent comedies hold up better because they're visual. Yeah. You know, you don't <laughs> need a bunch of title cards. Yeah. And that's something we'll talk about on, our, <laughs> on the next one, um, about not needing a bunch of title cards. But I, to start off with, I think we have to go to... Almost mm-hmm. inarguably the king of not just silent comedies, but silent film, mm-hmm. Charlie Chaplin. He's the only one I know, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's the only one most people know. And Charlie Chaplin is, I mean, he's one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, disclaimer, I freaking love Charlie Chaplin. He's so good. I, I'm i actually really excited for this because you're going to see your first Charlie Chaplin movie. Yeah. And I think you're really going to like it. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but a little bit of background on him. He's British, uh, and he got his start in 1918, I think, doing short films, and then he started uh, making movies. In 1921, he made his first feature-length movie called The Kid, mm-hmm. and that was also the first movie that had his character that was known as the little tramp. Oh. And the little tramp is this homeless character who's kind of put upon and always um you know, he's always trying to better his circumstances. Yeah. And kind of getting shot down as oh. a result. So that's a lot of his comedy comes from that. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the very thematic comedy. However, a lot of the other comedy is very physical. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about silent movies is there was no safety code. <laughs> this is more for the later episode uh, with silent mm-hmm. comedies, uh, but, you know, a lot of these guys are very physical and doing very dangerous things. <laughs> very dangerous <laughs> things. One film that we won't be talking about, but is super crazy, is this movie called Safety Last. It stars a guy named Harold Lloyd, and mm-hmm. he, he, ga- he gives the impression in the movie that he scales it like a 20-some-odd-story building. Yeah. And I always thought that he had done that, but basically what happened is they just... Um, they erected a fake building front on the roof of, like, an eight-story building. Oh, okay. So he was, like, you know, 10 to 12 stories up, but they basically just filmed him climbing yeah, that like, a bunch of times mm-hmm. and then had different stuff happen on each floor. It's a really intense movie to watch, though, because, like, <laughs> he does some insane stuff in it. And, um, you know, th- so these guys were daredevils, really. Yeah. Were. Uh, Charlie Chaplin, though, was more of a jack-of-all-trades. He wrote, directed, starred, and composed almost every single one of his movies. Wow. Yes. He's he, a renaissance man. He was a renaissance man. <clears throat> and if you like indie film... Charlie Chaplin was the first indie filmmaker. He Boom. founded <clears throat> Charlie Chaplin Studios in 1922, and every single movie he made from 1922 to 1958 was made through Charlie Chaplin Studios. Wow. Yep. <clears throat> and, you know, you told me to kind of take the lead on this one. Yes. And I was thinking about it. I, like I said, I love Charlie Chaplin. I own a bunch of his movies. And I had thought about maybe doing The Kid Mm-hmm. for this but we're gonna end up watching the gold rush so the gold rush is a movie from 1925 mm-hmm. and uh it's about the little tramp mining 
for gold in Alaska. And uh, it's just a bunch of snow, and there's like a romance story at the center of it, too. And it's great. It's so good. I love this movie. Um, It's one of his most well-reviewed films. Um, Some some quotes are... uh, Variety published a rave review saying that it's the greatest and most elaborate comedy ever filmed. Wow. And will stand for years as the biggest in its field. Um, Someone else said it's a comedy with streaks of Poetry, pathos, tenderness, and linked in brusqueness and boisterousness. It is the outstanding gem of all of Chaplin's pictures, and it has more thought and originality than even his other masterpieces. Wow. So this is probably his most beloved film. Okay. Um, This one or City Lights, but City Lights is the last movie he made as the Little Tramp. Charlie Chaplin had a really hard time adjusting to uh, talking movies. Mm Mm-hmm. He kind of just saw his sound in film as a trend. Oh. Yeah, uh, which I think is interesting. But um, we've talked about one other Charlie Chaplin movie on the show, and that's The Great Great Dictator, Dictator. which Mm -hmm. is a talkie. Yeah. And Chaplin does not play the little tramp character in the movie. He plays two characters. He plays uh, Hinkle, who's a variation on Hitler, and then (laughs) a character very similar to the little tramp, but Chaplin thought that the Little Tramp belongs strictly in the silent era. Yeah. So he abandoned that character completely with City Lights. And uh, so we're not doing that one because it's very late in his career. Yeah. Um, this is kind of middle of his career. And it actually... Ha- there are two versions of the Gold Rush. So there's the 1925 original. And then mm-hmm. in 1942, Chaplin re-released the movie. And he actually cut it by about 17 minutes... And added a narration at the beginning and I think the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he added a recorded soundtrack yeah. to it. So um, rather than having to have like an organist there playing the yeah. music, he had the soundtrack built in because talkies had become a thing and sound in movies hadn't gone away. Yeah. So he re-released it because of how popular <clears throat> it was. Um, he also played the film faster, so when it was when it was originally released in 1925, it was played at a slower speed. Yeah. And when he released it in 1942, it was played at norm- the speed we're used to seeing, okay. which is 24 frames yeah. a second. Um, this Blu-ray actually has both versions on it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to say we only have to watch the 1942 version, but okay. if you want to watch the 1925 version, you're more than welcome to. And for listeners, if you guys uh, want to follow along, we're likely going to be doing this segment every probably two weeks. Yeah. And so you'll have two weeks to watch the movie as opposed to the one week we usually give our, yeah. our main event movies. And this is available on Hulu. So if you have a Hulu Plus account, all of the Criterion Collection movies are available on Hulu+. Plus. Mm-hmm. The Gold Rush is one of them. It's going to be the 1942 cut, so it will be the cut we're watching. Or you can go to your local library. And I know is specifically <laughs> in our hometown, we have a library that has a pretty decent DVD selection. I'm yeah. sure they have it there. Probably. Um, you know, or you can go buy it or pick it up off Amazon. It's worth yeah. So... That's sort of the the film history to the the Gold Rush. Now, Corey, I know you haven't seen this, but what do you what do you think? Um, 
I'm interested. I'm interested to experience um, silent film. You know, like a complete silent film. I mean, I feel like I've seen snippets of stuff, you know, just throughout my years. But I've never seen, like, a completely, like, silent film. So I'm looking forward just to seeing, like, how it's going to work. And, like, just even what we were talking about, like, pertaining to comedy and just kind of, like, physical comedy mm-hmm. i'm just i'm interested to see how this is going to play out i'm I, i'm looking forward to it yeah it, i'm really i think you'll like it a lot and and you might want to watch it with hannah i think she'll like it a lot too it's a. Uh, I, I know it's silent so it's a little bit you know it's a little bit harder to wrap your brain around in terms of you know you got to put the phone away for realsies like, yeah to follow it. <laughs> um but it's I, I this movie especially I think is super rewarding. I also had the chance to see it on a very big screen because I saw it in my film class, and I haven't talked a lot about the film class uh, <laughs> on this, but it's the worst class I've ever taken. However, <laughs> this movie I fell in love with despite uh, the teacher being terrible, and. <laughs> It's, it's, oh man, it's so good. I'm really excited for you to watch it. I'm gonna, I, I've only seen it the one time, and so I'm gonna go back and rewatch it, because there's a lot that I, I don't remember. Sweet. It, but, yeah. So, that's kind of how this will go. I think we'll likely trade off, mm-hmm. um, quote, teaching our lessons. Yes. Um, so the next time w- w- well, this segment happens, we'll be talking about this film specifically. Yeah. So if you have any thoughts, please feel free to email the show, show at gmail.com. If you have questions, we're both available on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you can tweet at the show, at Before and After Pod. That's at Before, the letter N, After Pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, we each have our own personal Twitter accounts now, yeah. so that's a thing. It is. Um, <laughs> and Corey, what, what is yours? Mine is at Cat in the Hat 49 so you can find me there. And what about you, MJ? Yep. Um, <clears throat> mine is... I don't remember if there's punctuation in the middle of it or not, so let's find out. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Mine is at MJSmith891. 891. Um, Yep. So find us on Twitter. Follow us there if you have questions, if you want to engage in discussion about uh, anything having to do with the silent era. It doesn't just have to be a Charlie Chaplin movie. Yeah. Um, Let us know, and and we'll be responsive there. Um, We'll be on our Facebook page. So... Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the lesson, quote unquote, for today. For today, <laughs> um, I hope our hope for this is that that we get to know, and you also, as you go along with us, get to know um, the history of cinema a little bit better, and Just and have have more of an appreciation. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna have more of an appreciation for it. So yeah, it's good to know where you came from. Yeah, you know, and and you know, movies are ubiquitous you know Uh, they're they're everywhere and uh, i think i think most people watch at least one movie a week yeah who doesn't like movies yeah which means in a year you're watching 52 movies at least yeah i would argue that most people watch more than 100 movies a year yeah and uh so to to just kind of ignore large swaths of that mm-hmm. seems like a disservice especially if you're a fan you know yeah if you're someone at the theater every week i think this really helps you mm-hmm. you know and you'll see stuff 
I mean, we talked yeah. about this last week. Like when we saw Casablanca, yeah, you had never seen it. You so you saw so many things where you were like, oh, that influenced was, yeah. so much yep. more of pop culture than I even thought. Yeah, and you know, I think you'll see the same thing in Charlie Chaplin. Like, there's a couple sequences where you're gonna be like, this is where that came from. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yep. So, yeah, that is the before and after show film school. Take one. Sweet. And we will be right back after this for the main event. space just walked in to find the okay um <laughs> yes so we are back for the uh the meat of this episode which is we're doing another on assignment um experiment type thing because they're fun and we like to do them broaden our horizons of films we've never seen before yes yeah i'm pretty stoked about those actually yeah i'm pretty excited too this one was kind of off the cuff because we didn't know what we we're gonna do today and here we are so yep. surprises will abound for everybody yeah so i think this is super super surprising for <laughs> both of us yes um i have no idea what you've picked for me Man, i'll spin the wheel and see what comes out yeah that's kind of where i'm at too. it's kind of hard to choose for you because i feel like you've seen so many things but i know there's still like a wide bunch of movies i'm just like oh he's probably seen that and like you're like i haven't seen it but you yeah. you've seen so many things it's hard for me to narrow down yeah so all right so who wants to go first uh do we need to do what we usually do uh when in doubt Schwazi it out <laughs> that's a that's a thing here um all right not yet all right ready yep our powers combined. Oh, that's me. All right. All right. So, um, we were kind of talking about movies, and uh, this kind of was birthed out of we were going to take a movie you don't like and that I do like. Yeah. And we were going to talk about it, and I was going to try to convince you why it was good. You were trying to convince me why it was bad. Mm -hmm. Much like the Guardians of the Galaxy episode, except this time everyone can hate you. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to be hated once in a while. And, uh. Maybe not, actually. <laughs> man, people were real mad that I didn't like that movie. Um, but you like it now, so all yeah, is good. Yep, exactly. And. We were talking and we were like, oh, we basically have the same taste in movies. Yeah. So, dang it. We'll find one. We'll find one and we'll do an episode where you guys can all be against me. And MJ can win me to the right side. Yeah. Attack of the Clones. We disagreed on that. <laughs> but most people would still be on your side. <laughs> so, um, I actually don't really know where I'm headed with this one. Because there's two that I really, really want you to see. And so I'm just going to keep talking, and whichever one comes out of my face first <laughs> is going to be the one that I assign you. And I think I'm going to have to go with a fantastic Mr. Fox. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was expecting, uh, uh, is it Children of Men? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
No, I was between Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, okay. And I chose Fantastic Mr. Fox because I love that movie, yeah. <laughs> basically. It's like in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Wow. I love this movie so, so, so much. And this isn't like a super out of left field choice. Like, I think the last couple I've assigned are, like, Speed Racer or um, The Fisher King. Yeah. It's very much in line with those in that it's a very strange movie. Yeah. But it's a little bit more mainstream. More people have seen it, mm-hmm. I think. And, you know, it's a Wes Anderson film, which means it's really introspective. Yeah. Which is weird because it's a stop-motion animated movie. Oh, wow. And... I was working at Blockbuster when this movie came out on DVD, and we were, we kind of got the question a lot of, like, what is this movie? Yeah. Basically. And no one in our store really knew how to describe it until one day someone was like, it's like Ocean's Eleven with a bunch of talking animals. Oh. It's a heist movie. Really? Yes. Oh, sweet. I uh, love it. It's based off of The Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl, mm-hmm. who also wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Glass Elevator, yeah. um, the BFG, which we're getting the movie of later yeah. this summer by none other than the master himself, Mr. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> uh, so this is, this is Wes Anderson's take on The Fantastic Mr. Fox. And it basically follows this fox who's become disenchanted with his life. It's basically a fox's midlife crisis. Oh, no. (laughs) And he decides to start stealing stuff from the three uh, meanest farmers in town. And that's basically it. And it's just kind of the hijinks that ensue around that. Uh, The cast to this movie... uh, So, before we get into that, Wes Anderson's actually spent time in Roald Dahl's writing room writing oh, this movie. So that's he, cool. Yeah, he really got um, into the, the head. Yeah, yeah, and and the head of it. And so one of the things to look for is there's like scenes where people are reading newspapers. The uh, writing in the newspapers are actually uh, excerpts from the book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, but this cast list is George Clooney... Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Michael Gambon, Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, uh, oh gosh, um, Brian Cox, and there's, oh, Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of people wow. in this movie. And what they did is instead of just filming them in a studio, they actually took the actors outside and made them act out the scenes. <laughs> so when you hear them out of breath, that's because they've been running around. And so there's a lot of, like, outside noises, which makes sense because they're in the middle of the woods. Yeah. So there's a lot of very, like, natural sounds in the background. Yeah. As opposed to it being, like, a very clean studio-sounding recording. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... it's, it's wow. Yep. It's, a, it's an animated midlife crisis heist, heist movie. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hilarious. I think it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I just I just love this movie so much. It's so charming, and... Oh, it's great. Wow. I love this movie. I'm excited to watch this. That, this is not what I expected, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Because I was sure, because we've talked a lot about other films I haven't seen, I was like, oh, he's going to give me one of those, or you're going to give me that... Uh... Oh, man. 
Yeah, there's a couple that we've talked about, and I was like, I'm sure it's going to be one of those, which I do want to see all those other films you've recommended, yeah. so this one was kind of a surprise. Yeah, yeah, I, oh man, I'm really excited to see what you, I think you're going to love it, but I could be wrong. I feel like you're going to be like, what was that even? No, I mean, I like Speed Racer. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's not as weird as Speed Racer, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that's still a good movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and this movie, like, took a really long time to film, because, mm-hmm. like, it's stop motion, but it looks unlike any other stop motion I've ever seen. It's like really crazy looking yeah. stop motion, and there are kind of reports that Wes Anderson was a little tyrannical, but I think it's because he it just took so long to make he was getting a little crazy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they filmed it in France, and it took him like a year and a half just to film it. Yeah, because of the nature of stop motion. Yeah. And the stuff they have these these characters doing is pretty intense. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm really interested to see what you have to say about it. And the soundtrack is also really good. Yay! Yep. I'm excited. So you have to watch Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I'm pretty excited for you. That is... That sounds like fun. Cool. That sounds like fun. Um... All right, well, I know you're probably, like, chomping at the bit to be like, what did Corey choose for me? I'm so... Off I the cuff. have no idea. Okay, well, um, you know, I always... I guess these times when I've chosen movies for you, or um, I've tried to think of things that I know that you like, that have some interest, but maybe it's like you wouldn't <clears throat> naturally gravitate towards... Not like you don't like a movie, but you just, like, maybe it's like it wouldn't be in, like, your wheelhouse or your usual thing. So... I do have inside information on you that uh, Emma Thompson is one of your favorite actresses. Yes, sir. Yeah, so um, uh, you know where this is going. You found it out. Um, so I'm going to have you watch Saving Mr. Banks. Sweet. Yeah. Um, man, I feel like this is an underrated movie. Um, I feel like it came out and it, it kind of came out like at the tail end of the year, mm-hmm. I think in 2013, 2013, 2014? 2014. I mean, it came out the tail end of the year, and I just felt like it just kind of, like, went under the radar. People didn't say anything about it. But, man, it's such a good movie. So, it's, like, Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks, and it's basically telling the story of how Disney acquired um, P.L. Travers' Mary Poppins. And, you know, of course, like, immediately some people who are just, like, very, I don't know, cynical and whatever, it's just like, oh, well, Disney just, you know, like, manhandled her to get the rights and do it and stuff. And... You know, I know this is a, I know this is like a loose, you know, retelling of that story. And so obviously everything is not going to be like 100% to what it was. But I feel like when you watch this film and then even when you watch um, some of the like behind the scenes stuff, there is a very like great attention to detail for, for certain things that like, for this being a Disney movie and people talking about like, oh, Disney always wants to like make themselves look really good or put themselves in the best light. There's some choices that they do in this film that very much like don't put them in the good light. And so that's, yeah, so that was very interesting to see like them have the boldness to do that. Um, the story is really interesting. Um, if you've seen Mary Poppins. I have not. Well, you're going to have to go watch that in tandem with this. <laughs> okay. So tell Kristen that. Yeah, I, yeah. So yeah, I do feel like I'm getting two movies assigned to me for sure because I feel like I have to watch Mary Poppins. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of required. Yeah. Um, but 
it's really cool because you see I love I love movies that examine like the creation of how something comes to be. So it's like mm-hmm. this beloved classic, this, you know, like all these songs, whether you've seen the movie or not, I know you've heard some of the songs before, like Super yeah. Califragilistic or no, um Step in Time. Yeah, Step in Time or Let's Go Fly a Kite. Mm-hmm. Like all those songs Spoonful of Sugar. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's iconic for sure. Yeah, so all those songs they have such interesting stories of how they came to be and how like, you know, Pale Travers she didn't want to concede on any of this. She definitely did not want it to be a musical. She didn't think it was going to be a musical. So just all the like back and forth that they had to have to to get this to what it came to be, and even her like final reaction, like the outcome of it, it's just really fascinating. And like I said, there's just a lot of stuff where it's like, I know it's not an exact like one-to-one representation of everything that happened, but Disney did a lot of things where they don't they didn't put themselves in the best light. Um, and, uh, the key thing being in the title of Saving Mr. Banks, you're going to find out, like, why that is relevant in the whole story of Mary Poppins. Um, I mean, I kind of know that, like, a little bit, like, Mr. Banks was her father, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I know that much about it, and the Mary Poppins character is based off of her nanny growing up, is that correct? Yeah, kind of, and you'll someone in her life, like another female presence that yeah, and you'll and you'll yeah, and you'll understand like the. I feel like the film does a really good job of showing a lot of stuff, and I mean the screenplay is really well done too. Um, Emma Thompson and um, Tom Hanks are amazing. Um, I feel like when this movie came out, like it was under the radar, and the little bit that was advertised, it was more advertised like. A Tom Hanks movie, uh-huh. but he's very much like a supporting character in this film, and he has a couple really good scenes. But it's it's heavy Emma Thompson, and she does a great job. Um, the one other actor that I have to mention is Colin Farrell's in it. Yeah, he plays Mr. Banks. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, well, he plays the inspiration for kind of who will be Mr. Banks. Oh, okay, he plays he plays the father. I don't want to give too much of right, it away because right. a lot of it. It does do some period shifting, um, but I feel like it's handled pretty well, so it's not really jarring. Like, the first time it happens, you're kind of like, oh, okay, we're different time period, but then after that, it's very natural. And even that first time, it doesn't feel like, what is happening? Um, so it's just a really good, it's a really good film. It has him in it. It has some other people in it, just with, like, small parts, like, uh, um... B.J. Novak is in it, and Paul Giamatti has yes, a, has a part, and uh, Jason Schwartzman, who's yes. also in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, um, yeah, and they all do a fun job. I mean, they just kind of like round out the characters. It's fun to see that time period depicted, and Tom Hanks does a great Walt Disney impression. Oh, I bet. I bet. He's, he's so fantastic. Weird. You kind of, like, watch him, and you're like, I know you're not Walt Disney, but, like, I'm having a hard time believing that you're not Walt Disney. He's just so good. I mean, like... It's like you watch this, and then like you you're immediately want to go look up a clip of the actual Walt Disney, oh, and yeah. it's 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 kind of scary how really? close Tom Hanks gets. Yeah, um, so yeah, it's just it's a great movie. Like my wife and I went to go see it like on a whim. Like mm-hmm. we were we're actually traveling someplace like down south, and we had to stay the night for something. And I was like, let's go see this movie, Saving Mr. Banks, because Hannah loves Emma Thompson, and I love Emma Thompson, and we both and love Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. So it's like, this is a win automatic that we're going to see it. <laughs> and I I knew, like, the loose premise, but, man, it's such a good film. 
Um, and it just it hits you emotionally in like a, in a way that I'm I'm gonna be interested to see how you come out of it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited actually. Now, I've always said we need a really good Walt Disney biopic. Yeah. But as long as Disney exists, we're not going to get nope one <laughs> because. Uh, for as much whimsy and joy as he's brought to the world, the man was a vicious cocaine addict and anti-Semite. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that's why even some of the stuff in this film that they choose to portray, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear that, because I've always thought, like, man, in order to get, like, a really good Disney, Disney biopic, like... There's some not-so-Disney <laughs> stuff that needs to happen. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You know, and, and I saw one time someone made this fake poster of, like, Ryan Gosling playing a young Walt Disney, and I was like, dang, he would look a lot like a young Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, but in order to play the Disney-fied Disney, I can't think of a better man than Tom Hanks. Yeah. Man. Like, I'm so... It's one of the few Tom Hanks movies I haven't seen. He's so, so good in it. I, of course he is. I don't understand, and Emma Thompson's so good in it, I don't understand how it like got like no recognition like barely and i mean maybe just because it slipped in at the end of the year but man it's just it's it's a really good film yeah it only got nominated for best original score yeah i mean the music in it's really good but i mean it's kind of a mashup of a lot of the mary poppins music oh, okay i mean it, it kind of has different stuff. It's like things are arranged differently to fit, like, the tone of the movie. But, it, I mean, it does reuse a lot of the Mary Poppins music. But it's really cool because you see it in, like, a different... You hear it in a different way. That's why right. I think you need to watch both of the films together. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, I mean, I'm sure, like, if you watch it with Kristen, like, if you... I think you should watch Saving Mr. Banks first. Okay. Yeah. But I, she's gonna... A whole bunch of like light bulbs are gonna go off in her head and be like, "Oh my goodness!" Because like when we saw it, like I hadn't seen Mary Poppins, mm. so Hannah was more of that person who had all this history with Mary Poppins. Like I'd like heard the songs and stuff, but to see the whole film in context and then like the weight it has retroactively seeing Mary Poppins, it's just like, oh dang. <laughs> So I was looking up this movie on IMDb, yeah. and Kelly Marcel and Sue Smith are credited as the writers, and I looked them both up, and Kelly Marcel uh, is also a credited writer on Fifty Shades of Grey. Wow. That is... I I don't know what, what happened there. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I don't have words to say, because I feel like... I feel like Saving Mr. Banks is really good. It's yeah. a really I feel like it's written very well. Like I said, you can watch some of the special features. Like Emma Thompson nails PL Travers. Like when you listen to PL Travers and obviously like, you know, I think she's quite a bit older in the recordings they have than Emma Thompson playing the character, but I feel like she does a really good job. Like, her and Tom Hanks just do a really good job nailing the characters. Yeah, and then, I mean, you also have the Sherman Brothers doing the music. Like, yeah. They're so integral to Disney. Yeah. And... yeah, and it's fun to see them depicted. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, actually. That's a good choice. I think you're going to like it. Yeah, that was a solid pick. I'm glad you came up with that. Uh, cool. Yeah, so I think that'll do it. Yeah. For us, um... Until next week, 
right? You can find us on Facebook, yeah. iTunes, leave us a review. It'll get us on the charts. Yeah. Uh, five stars preferred. Doesn't Tell us. necessarily have to be five stars, but we would like that. You know you want to give us five stars. <laughs> Tell us what you think about the show. Email us, show gmail.com. Tweet at us, like we said. You know, I'm at Cat in the Hat 49. At MJ Smith 891. And at Before and After Pod. At Before, the letter N, After Pod. Yeah. And so, uh, until next time, uh, go watch Cloverfield. Cloverfield. We're just going to push that. Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>